are y'all? Doing all right. Wow, Hunter, nice. I trust that you guys got as little sleep as I did this night enjoying the festivities. I went home thinking, you know, I'm just going to go home and sleep because I was tired. But then my youngest daughter was like, how about we stay up all night? And uh, so that's what I did. Took care of her as she whined profusely most of the night. What a joy. Um, but it's a, it's a joy to be with you guys today and to speak on this topic in Philippians uh, chapter 2. Um, but I, I, wanted to, I wanted to share a story with you guys before we get into the actual message, okay? Because do you guys realize that you guys have a purpose for your life? There's an actual purpose. And I don't mean like, yeah, man, I just got to live my life. Live it good. <laughs> Like you have a real purpose that has been defined for you by someone else. Now it depends on who you listen to, but uh, a lot of people have their different opinions on, on what the meaning of life is and what your purpose of life is. Uh, I ran on to an article that was published in 2017 uh, from the Seattle Times, and it said, this is just one statement, so profound. It said, the perf- purpose of life is to live it fully. And that is it. So, so profound really doesn't answer the question of what does that look like or what does that really mean? Because that can be different for different people. Okay? But the Bible answers this question. And before we get into that, I just want to give you guys a brief story of someone who lived a life on purpose. Who did many cool things, many things that we think, man, this is awesome stuff. But he lived a life on purpose that was geared towards glorifying God and serving other people. So, if you can see this, if not, it's probably because I put it together. But this man, this handsome stud right here, this is Dr. Ronald Wesley Stevenson. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you just a brief history background, and then it will just be little snippets of things that he did in his life. So... Ronald Wesley Stevenson was born in Roanoke, Virginia in 1935. He came from a broken home, and the effects of his parents' decisions had a massive impact on his identity and relation to others. He was a shy, reserved, and quiet young man who kept to himself. He was mistreated by many of his family members, none more than his stepfather. As a young boy, he spent most of his years traveling by train, to visit both sides of his family, feeling as if unwanted and a burden to all. But in the Christmas of 1945, when Ronald was 10 years old, something changed. He was given a gift. This gift was a book. This book had many books in it, 66 books to be exact. (laughs) That's right, he was given the Bible. Ronald began to read the Bible, and seven years later, he accepted the gift of salvation that Christ had purchased for him. From that moment, Ronald's life took a dramatic turn. He planned to attend VMI, or Virginia Military Institute, uh, in hopes of graduating and becoming an officer in the military. However, his stepfather uh, retracted his offer to pay for his school, and he was, he was forced to uh, pursue his dream on his own. While pursuing this dream, he met the love of his life, Doris uh, Hedge Findler. She came from a broken home as well, 
she was with, uh, she already had a toddler at the time, but that did not stop him. He knew that he was to marry her, and so he did, and he adopted her daughter as his own. A year into the program at VMI, Doris became pregnant with their first child, and so Ronald had to make a tough decision. And so Ronald decided to forsake his opportunity to become an officer, and he enlisted in the United States Air Force so that his wife and child could have insurance. Now he fought, enlisted, and he fought in the Vietnam War uh, as a navigator on a B-52 bomber, this beast of a machine. Uh, He actually flew over 200 air raids over Vietnam while he was stationed in Thailand. While stationed overseas in Thailand, he served as the president of the European Baptist Brotherhood. He would spend most of his weekends when he would have reprieves, not relaxing or hanging out with his comrades. No, he did not do that. He spent his time moderating an English-speaking church in Thailand and visiting missionary families to, to spend time with them and to encourage them in their faith. And it is said that multiple times he would travel to a missionary's house to encourage he and his wife, and then he would stay with their kids so that they can go out on a date. When Doris is a strange father passed away, she was entitled to approximately $8 million. While she was stationed overseas with her husband, her brother tricked her into signing a document that relinquished her of the rights for all of the money, and she did not receive a dime. When her husband learned of this, his response was simply, it's okay. When the oldest daughter, the one that he adopted, was dying of leukemia, her husband came to Ronald's house, dropped her... Excuse me. He dropped her off at his doorstep and he said, she's your problem now. So he did what any loving father would do. He welcomed her in, took care of her, and then he refinanced his home so that he can pay for all of her medical bills, regardless of the fact that she would die shortly after. After serving in the military for over 20 years, uh, Ronald retired. He continued his education, and he gained a doctorate of divinity and a doctorate of ministry from Luther Rice Seminary where he faithfully pastored a church for 41 years, and he served at Bethany Baptist Church for, for 25 years. Uh, and in that 25 years at Bethany Baptist Church, he never once took a raise. He financially supported missionaries for over 30 years, and he would write, uh, he would write letters to his grandchildren every month to encourage them in the faith as they grew older. No matter what life through in his face, what obstacles or difficulties came about, Ronald stood firm in his faith, unwavering from living a life that would reflect the worthiness of the gospel. And on July 12, 2017, Ronald went home to be with his Lord. His funeral service was held at Fairchild's Funeral Home in Altamont Springs, Florida, with thousands of people? No. Hundreds of people? No. Maybe 60. He was survived by his beautiful wife that you see right here as he loved to dance with her and show her off. Called her gorgeous. 
Um, survived by his beautiful wife, Doris, is three daughters, 13 grandchildren, of which I am honored to be one of them. And he has 12 great-grandchildren with my wife due in April with his uh, 13th. This is the face that I remember of my grandfather. This was his constant expression, no matter who he met. This was him. Joy exuding, as Evan preached yesterday, joy exuding in his foundation in the gospel. Look, these things that I mentioned to you about his life, these little, little small snippets, and many more, right? He, he went and visited a leper colony to serve them. No one wants to be around these people, but he went. That's the kind of man that he was. But I never knew these things about my grandfather. Not even until after he passed away. He didn't talk about them. It wasn't at the forefront of his mind to say, hey, look, man, I did this thing. It's pretty awesome. You give me some dap, you know? He just didn't do that. It wasn't about him. It was about extolling Christ, exalting Jesus. His purpose and pleasure was to make much of Jesus. And what I know of my grandfather was that he loved the Lord and he loved others. And in the early morning, if you were looking for him, you would not need to. For you would just go in the dining room and behind the table you would see him prostrate on the floor reading his Bible and praying for his whole family. He said that kneeling was too high for him, so he would lay down. And that was my grandfather. And the effect of his life on me was pretty significant. And it put in me a taste for the worthiness of the gospel that few have been able to match. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have, by your sovereignty, brought all of us here to this retreat, Lord. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the band to be faithful to lead us in worship and for Evan and his preparation. Lord, we just pray that you would be with us for the duration of this retreat, Lord, that you would speak to us, Lord, that we would be quick to engage you and to feed on your word. Lord, help us today. Help us to see what you have to say in your word about why we are here on earth and how we are supposed to live, namely in unity. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, there is a unique correlation between the life that my grandfather lived and what the Apostle Paul says how we are to live here. So if you guys would open up your, your precious Bibles to Philippians 1. We're going to start in Philippians 1, although our main text will be in Philippians 2. So if you, you turn there to Philippians 1, and uh, we're going to start here in verse 27. And this is what the authoritative Word of God says. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Jump down to verse 1 of chapter 2. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, 
any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing or complaining, or else Mama Fry will bring a t-shirt and you will have to wear it. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Well, we see here that Paul states the purpose is to live a life worthy of the gospel, that you might stand firm in your faith, be united with one another, and that you might shine as lights. So, here we have the if, then, why, and how in this message. So, if, here we look in verse 1 of chapter 2. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. If you have been united with Christ, this is your reality. Not only should you know these truths, but you hopefully have experienced these truths. Have you experienced encouragement of Christ or comfort from love? Maybe when all other people just are leaving you alone, you feel ignored and unloved? Have you been able to experience the love of God on you? Have you been able to experience the fellowship of the Spirit, not only with the Godhead, but with one another? Have you experienced His affection for you and for His renown? Have you experienced His sympathy and compassion to you? Are you aware that he will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering flax? That is the tenderness of God towards you and me. Us. We are just one of millions, billions of people here on earth and yet he is mindful of us and he cares for us in that specific way. You must know these truths. If you know these truths, if you've experienced these truths, then that creates something in us, or at least it should create something in us. Sinclair Ferguson writes, if we have received all of these blessings in, in Christ and from Christ, then 
we are responsible to live to Christ and for Christ. Then is we are to be united with one another. If you are united with Christ, then we are to be united with one another. It says in verse 2, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of the same mind, or excuse me, being in full accord and of one mind. We are to be in unity with one another, and unity is a powerful thing. We need to be united together. J.A. Mortar writes, Unity is one of the most useful weapons. I should have been doing this. One of the most useful weapons um, against the world. But rather, it belongs to the very essence of Christian life. For it is the way in which Christians display outwardly what the gospel is and means to them. Unity is the gospel's hallmark. It says to all who examine it, this life is worthy of the gospel. We are to be united, but what, is, what does this mean to be united? How are we to be united? Well, we are to be united in the same love. Have you experienced the comfort that comes when someone loves you? Right? When that boy that you like says that they love you and you're really excited you're like oh my goodness Tommy said that he loves me and then your friend Tiffany's like oh my goodness like he already said that to three people it's not impressive and you're like nobody meant it to me but you get really really excited when someone loves you and you feel good about yourself right feel that comfort well maybe not because that's kind of ridiculous but maybe you've really experienced love like when my wife tells me she loves me that's a comfort to me and someone that I love dearly looks at me, not sarcastically, <laughs> and says, I love you. And I'm like, I love you too. And I'm trying to put on a manly face, but inside there's butterflies going. Because <laughs> it makes me feel good and there's, there's comfort there. Because you know that she is for you and she's committed to you. And there's loyalty there. Have you experienced that? Listen, I hope you have. You should have, because you've been given the greatest example of love that the world has ever known in Christ Jesus. One who came after you when you were nothing worthy of love and displayed His love to you because of His grace. The problem is, is, is for whatever reason, we just have such a difficulty giving that love to other people for whatever reason it is. Right? We've been given this amazing love by Jesus, and then we kind of just hold on to our love like, no, you got to earn it, bro. Mm-mm, not giving it to you. It's like when Benji comes up to Bumper and Pitch Perfect, and he's like, hey, man, we should, to- we should exchange emails and totally hang out right now. And Bumper's like, nope, hard pass. Uh-uh, not going to do it. <laughs> like, that's how we treat people. Like, we just don't want to be involved. We don't want to be vulnerable with people and open ourselves out and just love on people because Christ has loved us. Why is that? It's because of our pride. Pride is a devastating thing in our lives. But we're called to be united in the same love and we're called to be united in humility. So we have to get over that. In verse 3 through 5, look, listen to what it says. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Sinclair Ferguson, Sinclair Ferguson writes, Perhaps more disunity is caused in the church by lack of humility than lack of zeal. So it's not so much that you just have a lack of passion for the Lord or, or, or other people. You just have such pride that you can't get past yourself. And so you have no room for anyone else. It's all about you. It's all about what you want. This is so important, this topic of humility, that when Augustine was asked what are the uh, key principles of the Christian life, he, he replied, first, humility. Second, humility. And third, yeah, you guessed it, humility. It is massively important. Listen, I love this quote. Look at it. This is amazing. Sinclair Ferguson writes, Christ counted our salvation more important than preserving his own life. So if you, if you want to kind of have a case for yourself saying like, well, you don't really know these people. They're kind of weird. Uh, they're not exactly in the cool crowd. They don't have the same kind of interest or whatever. And look, I, you know, I got reason to, to, to think about myself. Okay, I got a lot going on. Right? Got a lot of dreams and aspirations. Well, here's Christ. If anyone had the right to dote upon himself, it was him. And he humbled himself so much and he cared more about our salvation than preserving his own life that he gave it up for us. That's massive humility. Look at what it says here. This is a commonly quoted passage of Scripture, but this is massively monumental. So please read this with me here in verse 5 through 8. Listen to what it says. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in, hum- in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Do you see the, the humility of Jesus in this passage? This is what's amazing. Not only did He humble Himself to leave His rightful place in heaven, receiving all glory and praise around the clock, not only did He do that, look, it says here, and being found in human form, stop. He humbled himself. There's already humility there in coming and taking on flesh. But then he humbled himself even further. Humbled himself even further by becoming obedient to death. You're God. You don't have to obey anyone. But he did. He willingly obeyed the will of the Father on our behalf. Humility. Unbelievable humility. Who here is willing to do that? Most of us don't even want to like get out of our comfort zone and talk to a new person, right? And that's what he does. Unbelievable. See, it causes, this, this humility causes us when we have a right understanding of who we are. Because humility isn't just thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And when you do that, and when you've experienced the humility that God has given you and displayed to you, that allows you to be others-minded. 
which is actually a pretty amazing freeing thing, right? It is a very, very, very amazing thing. <clears throat> Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, Paul is not saying that you do not need to be concerned about yourself. It's not what he's saying. Actually, it's pretty important that you are caring for yourself, for your health and your well-being, that you are feeding your soul and that you are growing in godliness. Absolutely. But he's saying it's not only are you concerned with your own interests, but also the interests of others. Sometimes people don't do either. Sometimes you have some pretty awesome people that are really concerned about other people and they serve and they serve and they serve, which is amazing and we applaud it. But the thing is, is that they neglect their own soul and they begin to waste away and they've spread themselves too thin and joy flees. So it's important that we do that. But then there's some people that are just like, it's all about me, all about me. Everything in life, it's all about me, right? And then they, just, they, don't give, they don't give a rip about anyone else. Someone could be absolutely dying in cell, inside for lack of relationship, and it's just like, I don't even know what's up with him. He just, he's just a quiet person. He's in the corner most of the time. So you, you don't even want to attempt. Maybe you're not even mindful of the situation, but even if you're mindful of the situation, some of you have no desire to go to that person and to seek them out and to display the love that God has given you to them. I love you guys. That's disgusting. That is absolutely disgusting. That is not how God has called us to live. We are to be others-minded. What does it look like for you to be self-focused and all about you. Well, <laughs> I came across this article uh, from this young eight-year-old boy out of Hampton, Georgia. An article read, uh, Kid who builds entire civilization in Minecraft claims basic household chores are too difficult. Awesome. <laughs> this, this, this boy's name was Samuel Larson. I hope he becomes famous. Um, <laughs> It said, Larson's Minecraft world is jam-packed with buildings, functioning cars and airplanes, and citizens who roam his world. Driven by some simple AI code he'd written in his spare time after watching a YouTube tutorial. But the second his parents asked him to do even the most rudimentary task around his real-life home, he uh, becomes an uneducated simpleton who can't even work a bottle of Windex. He says, I would do the dishes, but I just can't figure out how to operate that machine. He said as he was uh, putting the finishing touches on a fully functioning touring machine using redstone in the world he created over months of intense labor, Mom, the trash is too heavy. <laughs> the lawnmower, that's, that's just a mystery to me. Even picking up his room is baffling. That's what he did. He said, is this the way that you hold up the broom or is it the other way? While he held up a vacuum upside down. <laughs> this guy is going to do great things in life. <laughs> I tell you what. Uh, yeah. He says, oh, these things are just so complicated. 
At the publishing time of this article, Larson was claiming his third grade math homework was far too difficult, though he had unwittingly used algebraic functions to code his Minecraft world. <laughs> what an individual who is just so self-focused, only wants to do what he wants to do, and unwilling to be mindful of others. And listen, I know that you guys are youth and you're young, and a lot younger than me, because I'm old and I have gray hair, but you guys are young. But the thing is, is this being mindful of other people includes your parents, not just your peers. It includes your parents. So you need to be mindful of the interest of your parents. You need to be mindful of, of what your parents are calling you to do, asking you to do. If there are things in, in your household, rules that you, they're hoping that you abide by, listen, you need to be mindful of that and you need to be submissive to that. That is part of it. Don't just think like, okay, well, I went and talked to Alice, and I met her, and she's from Kentucky, so did my deal for the week. I was about other people. But then you go home, and your mom asks you to do something, and you just cop an attitude, and you go to your room. It, it, it includes all of that. So, here's the question. Are you like that? Do you care about yourself far too much? Are you the type of person that has to dominate conversations? Do you dote upon yourself? Do you try to get what you can out of a situation or relationship and others are just found wanting? Do you get out of ways to serve, care, and pray for others? If then, you are probably, and I'm saying you are, <laughs> self-focused. Listen, here's, here's, here's the amazing truth of, of the gospel and what Christ has done in you. You have been made a new creature with a new heart, with new sensitivities. Therefore, you have commonality on a massively deep level with other people. You have that. This unity is a gift. Don't think that you are losing out of something if you give fully of yourself to other people. You're not. You are only gaining. Charles Spurgeon writes, yes, have a large heart so that though you care for yourself in spiritual things and desire your own soul's prosperity, you may have the same desire for every Christian man and woman. Have this mind among yourselves. The same love. The same humility. This is who you are. Do it. Like I don't want to beat a dead horse, but before I move on uh, to the next point, look, I, I just, I really want to sit in here because you guys are youth members and relationships and, and it's easy for people to get offended, right? And then there's animosity and we were, we were once friends last summer, but something happened, and now we're just not talking anymore. Look. Stop. <laughs> just stop. Seriously. Just stop. Get over yourselves. Exercise forgiveness. Learn the humility of Christ and be others-oriented, others-mindful. Look, you could have you had a life like my grandfather had of doing these pretty impressive things, right? If you hear someone that grew up, had a rough life, and then, you know, went into the military, 
had a pretty illustrious career and then went on and did some other great things, you'd be like, wow, yeah, write a song about that. That's pretty impressive, right? But his, the impact that God allowed him to have was, was made because he put Christ first and he served others and he wasn't about himself. If he was about himself, it wouldn't have had any kind of impact like it had in his life. So listen, friends, you are to love everyone regardless of who they are, where they come from, what interests they have. I don't care if they're a gamer and you just don't, you're not, you, you don't get with that. You're called to love one another and be united together. You have the same mission and the same purpose in Jesus. And so come along one another. Encourage each other in Christ. As it said, encouragement in Christ. Right? Do that for one another. Bring others along. Invite them into your life. Be vulnerable with people. That's how you grow. That's your mission here. Why do we do this? Why, why do we do this? Verse 27 to 28 in, in verse chapter 1 answers this question for us. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's why we do it. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened at anything by your opponents. Why? Because this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. You're called to do this so that you might stand firm in the gospel no matter what comes your way so that when deaths in the family come or when tragedy strikes when rifts happen or homework gets too much or you break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend or when someone brings your daughter who they who they they, they swore or they they committed to love and cherish till death does part and drops them off at your doorstep and says that you're a problem now you can respond in a faith-filled way because you're firm in the gospel that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen on your own. But this, this, this can be your reality if, if you live by God's Word and you seek to live in a life in a way that's worthy of the Gospel, you're able to stand firm when all of these things happen. Moida writes, without such a life, referring to a life that matches the worth of the gospel, you will never hold your ground against the world, strong in what God has done for you, jointly working for the common faith. But such, uh, such steadfastness has great results. When you are steadfast, when you live a life that, is, that displays the worth of the gospel, you know what it does? It convicts the world. It convicts the world and it convinces you. It condemns the world and it confirms the church. So when you're out there, and listen, be aware that the world is watching you. The world is definitely watching you. Especially if you're like, I'm a Christian. They're like, what? Cool beans. <laughs> I'm going to be watching you and just waiting to fire away. Waiting for you to slip up, right? The world is watching to see because they really want to know. They really do. They want to know, is there a difference? Is this real? They want to know. 
And your life can reflect that. And when you live as you're called to live in unity with Christ and with other people, you have an amazing testimony that condemns the world. It convicts them to say, wow, I can't deny this. Maybe this is real. It, it condemns the world and puts them in their place that they're wrong. But it, it also does wonderful things for you. It convinces you, right? How many, how many times have you, have you had the experience where someone has come up to you and, and given you a compliment in the way in which you live? You're like, man, I didn't even notice that. Just God, God allowing grace to be seen through your life. You weren't even trying to do anything, and they were aware of how you've been affecting people for the glory of God. Sometimes it could have the reverse effect. <laughs> While I was working EMS back home in Orlando, my partner, um, Basil Kaur, Basil Kaur, because I'm not from Jamaica, okay? He's a Kingstonian from Jamaica. He was kind of a reserved guy, loved the guy to death, good friend. And I was going through a, a difficult season, at least what I thought was a difficult season, and I was kind of just venting to him as we're getting on the rig. Wonderful way to start a day to save lives, <laughs> just complaining. And so I was complaining to him, and then he kind of looks at me, and he says, may I have that faith? May I have that faith? Which is basically like, aren't you supposed to have faith? And I was just, you want to talk about a gut check? I was like, you're right. He's basically like, aren't you a Christian? Aren't you supposed to have faith? Now, he said it in Potswell, but the point got across. <laughs> Any language. He knows that I'm a believer, and I'm complaining, and I'm, I'm, I'm displaying a lack of faith in God. He's like, aren't you supposed to have faith? Yeah, you're right. So what kind of testimony are, are you giving out there? Are you giving one that, that shows the worthiness of the gospel? Or are you doing one that's like, I really don't know about this myself? Or I'm really just disinterested in it. really don't care. I'm going through the motions. Maybe I'm just one of those like nominal Christians. I'll be honest, man, where I'm just a Christian in name only, and there's nothing else about my life that reflects that. I don't read His Word. I don't meditate on His Word. I don't love other people. I don't engage other people. I don't seek to grow in godliness. I just say I'm a Christian and I show up to Christian functions. I go to church pretty regularly. Definitely going to go to youth camp because it's hype. Absolutely. But that's about it. Are you that kind of person? Or are you the kind of person that wants to display the worth of the Gospel to people so that God would be glorified and that people would be affected? So we do this so that we would stand firm and we do this so that we would be a light that shines to other people. Can you imagine that you, like I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to pick on you anymore. Look at me. I'm a loser. <laughs> okay? Don't tell my wife because I don't want her to leave. But I'm a loser. Okay? Right? I live in a house full of girls and the crazy thing was I loved Broadway shows before that. Okay, there's nothing special about me. Right? But, but, but God is so good that he allows someone like me who is, who is of no value at all to, to be a light to the world? Are you kidding me? What a joy is that, huh? That's awesome. Maybe you're just tired because I was hoping for an amen, but that is some great news. You get to be a light that shines that displays Christ to other people. And maybe one day you'll get to experience someone coming to Christ because of the life that you lived. 
Maybe a word that you said, or maybe a prayer that you prayed for them. And they said, I, I believe. I, I have come to Christ. I believe. What a joy that is on that day. You can have, every, you can have multiple degrees. You could live a fantastic life, fast-paced life, big houses, big cars, tricked-out rims. You can have all that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you what, nothing, nothing is going to compare when you're there on that day and you hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Come enter in. Or you're in heaven and you see someone that you witnessed to years ago and you never kept in touch and you see them there. What a joy that will be. Like we're blessed with a lot of things on earth. I get it. There's a lot of things that, we, that God has given us to enjoy. Um, but, but one of the things that becomes like an animosity towards this, uh, an enemy towards this, would be the love of the world. Not just the love of yourself, but love of the world. The things in it. You crave it. You, you, you want to engage in what it has to offer. And, and you think that uh, it's, it's music and it's entertainment and it's what it offers to you pleasure-wise is of far more value than what God does. Listen, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. So we need to check ourselves. As it says in Philippians 20, but, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is your home. That is what we are to reflect. That is, our, that is our purpose, to reflect the worthiness of the Gospel so that people would see in and through our lives how magnificent He is. That others around us would be encouraged in the faith by the way that we are others-minded, that we walk in humility and grow together. And it has lasting effects. So finally, in closing, how do we do this? How do we, how do we live this type of life? How do we walk in unity, in the same mind, in the same humility, others-minded? Well, we do this by looking at verse 12-13, through 13, which says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. It is God who not only gives you the desire to live this type of life, but it is God who helps you along the way to bring it about for His good pleasure. So in... In closing, guys, um, let me just see if I can go back here. By God's grace, I was able to visit my grandfather prior to him passing. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was about six days before he passed. And 
Like I said before, all I knew of my grandfather was how he loved the Lord and loved others. <clears throat> so I go there, and he's unable to walk and needs assistance to go to the bathroom. And so my grandmother, although she is insanely beautiful and very strong woman, she needed help. So I go to help as he needs to use the restroom, and the whole time he's, he's holding me and he's saying, I'm so sorry that you have to do this. I'm so sorry that you have to do this. And he's kissing my cheek. Um, now, he, his, he was suffering from Parkinson's and his, and his uh, mind was going a little bit, but that was, that was a real moment because that's how he lived his life. He, he just didn't want to, to put anyone else out. He just wanted to serve other people. But he's kissing me on this and I'm like, I'm just thinking like, out of all, all the things that you have done for me, this is the least thing that I can do for you. I love you. I'm just going to hold you. All I'm doing is holding you up. That's it. As you did for me for, for so many years. And so I was able to go, and although his mind was deteriorating pretty rapidly, I said, what, what, what better thing to do than just to read the Word? And no matter where I went, whether it was Genesis 1-1 or John 1-1 or wherever else the Lord put me, I would just randomly turn to the next page and just start reading it, and he's quoting the Scriptures. <laughs> like he's reciting the Scriptures randomly because that was of superior importance to him. He lived a life that wanted to make much of Christ. And what he knew of Christ was enough for him. As, as Evan has spoken about, and I'm sure we'll get to it in the next, next message, that's all he cared about, was Christ glorified. That's it. Nothing else. So I was able to do that for him. I think that's the last picture that was taken. Before I passed. Faithful to the end. Praying to the Savior. And, and, and the wonderful thing about that is un unknowingly he was affecting other people. Like when you see that, you're affected by that. Like you're about to pass from this life and you're praying to Jesus. That kind of effect being united in the mind of Christ because this is how Christ lived his life on earth. Being united in that way, being others-minded, and being Christ-exalting. This kind of life affects people. This kind of life lives up to the purpose that God has given you. This life ends that when you take your last breath, you've done well. And you've lived life to your fullest which I think would shock the Seattle Times. That's living life to your fullest. That's living life to your full potential. And that is my prayer, as that is Paul's prayer, when he says in First, in first uh, Philippians 9, this is my prayer for us, as it is for Paul, for the church in Philippi, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen.